I really could have turned to almost any, the end of any of the New Testament epistles to find something along the lines of what I'm going to read here. Philippians 4.21, Paul is writing to the saints in Philippi and he says to them, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And again, you could go to the end of almost all of the epistles and you'll see something like that. We give you greetings, you greet, you greet those people, I've extended greetings, etc., etc. And, and what you learn is that the saints of God in the first century that we know about in the New Testament, they had a relationship with each other. But that relationship was primarily because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. These saints in these churches, most of them probably never met each other personally. But he would say to each of them as he went, I bring greetings from the brothers. And they would, maybe the most they knew was, there are some brothers and sisters in another place. And they would hear that and they would say, well, would you take our greeting to them? And it, it, wasn't, it probably wasn't expected that anybody would hear that and say, well, who are they? Why are they telling me, giving me greetings? You know, it's, it would just be understood. They're brothers and sisters. Of course we greet one another. But they had this relationship through the travels and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Saints who never met were in this sense related because of this common acquaintance that they had in the Apostle. In the same way today, you all have a relationship with brothers and sisters that most of you will never meet. You'll never see them, they'll never see you. And the, the reason that you have a relationship with them is because you are willing and able to send others to serve them. In this particular instance, me. And hopefully, this relationship between all of us is going to deepen over the years. Um, especially as we learn to pray for specific people and we see pictures and faces and we hear stories. The relationship gets deeper and you... you as you go, you feel like you know them more and more, even though, again, you never met them face to face. That's the plan. That's why one of the reasons that, that we have times like this. So that being said, <clears throat> I bring you greetings from the saints of God in Christ Jesus at Antioch Baptist Church in Blantyre, Malawi. Uh, I gave them greetings from you all, and they said that I could bring greetings to you from them. So they, they said to tell you, hey. As is always the case, since I go to minister as a servant and a representative of this church, I want to take the time this evening to report to you the things that God is doing with our brothers and sisters and what I was able to do through your willingness to send me. I am accountable first and foremost to the Lord Jesus Christ but also, secondly, and, and similarly along with Christ, I am accountable to you for the things that I, that I do when I'm, when I'm on uh, ministry work. The things that I get to participate in take place because of you all. I didn't buy my own plane ticket. I didn't, I didn't buy my own meals or anything. Uh, the only way that any of this could happen is because of you all. And, and in that sense... We all share in this ministry, though in different ways. Some people travel and are preachers. Some people travel and maybe they do other things. Other people stay at home and pray. 
Some people stay at home and pray and they're also able to support financially. But we all share in this ministry. This is not my ministry to the saints in Malawi. This is our partnership with another congregation in another nation. And you all are partners with with me and with them in this. So what I want to do for our time together is walk through just sort of a schedule of all of the things that took place. I want to explain some of the details, the various topics that we were able to teach on. And I'll draw out some important things that we, were, that we taught while we were there that I thought might be useful to us here. I was saying at lunch that there were things that we were teaching their church, and as we were teaching it, I was thinking, I don't know that I've ever taught these things at my church. But they're useful things. Now, we won't cover all of those types of things, but um, some of these things will be useful. So I'm going to describe them in this format. Here are some of the things that I taught. But sort of the implication is you all, we all need to hear them as well or be reminded of them. Uh, also, I have pictures, uh, just a few pictures that, is, that I was able to put into ProPresenter that are probably going to be kind of difficult to see, but they're just sort of, uh, you know, pictures to say that we have pictures and I'll point to them and I'll, me and Chastity are going to work together uh, to, to try to keep these things together in line. I'm not a ProPresenter guy. I don't know how to do that anymore. So um, we'll see some pictures and just take my word for what they are. So the first, uh, the first event that we did uh, was, and you can put up the first picture, uh, the first event that we did was the, what we call the, the- Theology Boot Camp. They do this every year. Uh, it was Friday through Sunday, so I left. I think I left here on a Monday, arrived there Thursday. Yeah, arrived there Thursday. Then Friday, we pretty much just packed right back up and, and drove to about an hour away to a place called the Zomba Plateau. The city is Zomba. It's a big mountain there. Um, I went there before. We were there Friday through Sunday, and the plan was to teach under these tents, to teach through the entire Second London Baptist Confession in, in this time period. Now, I didn't know all of the details of how this would work out. Uh, I was doubtful that this was even possible, but we, we, we made it work. Uh, the topics that were given to me that I actually was able to teach, there was one of them on uh, the chapter on good works that I just didn't get to because conversation and time ran away. But um, I was able to teach on chapter 26 on the church, uh, chapter 1 on the Holy Scriptures, chapter 7 on God's covenant, chapter 9 on free will, chapter 11 on justification, Chapters 17 and 18 on assurance and perseverance. And then chapters 28 through 30, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, baptism, Lord's Supper, those three chapters together. Um, One of the things that I'd just like to point out, assurance and perseverance. Um, I had to try to figure out how to put those two together in a Sunday morning sermon format, because that was, that was the, the morning worship service. A while back, I preached a sermon here, and I also preached it in Ohio from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, supplement your uh, faith with virtue, virtue with etc., etc., etc. You know how it goes. And you go on down through the line, and Peter kind of concludes that section with, make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these things, you will keep yourself from falling, etc. In other words, it's, it's really amazing that he, he, he prescribes for them perseverance as the means to strengthen their assurance. Here's how you confirm your calling and election. 
persevere. Um, really, really a fascinating uh, subject, but it was encouraging, I believe, to them, and it was encouraging to me to study it. The illustration that I used was this. If I called you over to me out back here, and, and there before me was uh, freshly dug dirt, and on top of the dirt was a piece of gold 12 inches long. And I said to you, here's a piece of gold. You can have this piece of gold. If you dig down two feet, there's another piece of gold 24 inches long. You can have it. If you dig down two more feet, there's another piece of gold twice again as long. Four feet, 24, four feet long. If you dig down two more feet, at this point you're six feet deep, but there's a piece of gold down there eight feet long. You can have it all. You just got to dig. Now, I said, if, if you've seen the first one, would you be inclined to at least begin to maybe try to find that second piece of gold? They said, yeah, sure. You dig down to the second one, you find that second piece of gold. You're even more motivated now to continue to dig. Now, the digging is going to get harder. You're going to get deeper. But the more you persevere... The, 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 the greater the prize, and as you persevere, receiving the piece of gold every two feet uh, gives you confidence that what you're digging after is there. That was the illustration that I used. As you persevere, you become more assured. And as you are assured, you're, you're more uh, spurred on to persevere, to keep going. And that's, that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, assurance is not, as some people teach this, just sort of God coming in a dream or in a vision and flipping a switch and all of a sudden assurance kicks in and never goes away, never fluctuates. You're just sealed forever in, in that state of thinking. No, it requires perseverance. If you cease to persevere, if you're not striving to follow the Lord, well, why would you have any assurance of your salvation? Those, two, those go together. So anyway, that was a message that I, I enjoyed to prepare for and, and to give. So we talked through those things. Um, one of the blessings about the boot camp was being able to have conversations with these students as they come. Uh, flip to the next picture, which will be just another picture of the tents. And you can see there on the far end is a speaker or something, but that's, that's kind of what it looked like. Um, having conversations with these students on subjects like giving and tithing. Uh, the African continent, as most of you know, is eaten up with prosperity theology and, and Pentecostalism and charismaticism. And so they're, they're, they're taught a lot of garbage about what it means to, to, to worship through giving and or tithing. And they had questions about that. I was able to talk to some of them and, and, and try, to, try, try to drive a, a safe middle ground without pushing anybody in, in a way that uh, they might disagree with or have a hard time with. Um, Questions about leading people in a sinner's prayer. Questions about finding a good church. Questions about growing in faith. One young lady named Deborah, we would pronounce it Deborah, I called her Debbie. Uh, she asked me, little Debbie, uh, she asked me one time, uh, how do I hear God speak? You know, this is the kind of stuff they're wrestling with that we might think, this, why, would I, why would that be a question to hear God speak? Because they're taught that God speaks to some people audibly. They hear it. And here's a, more than likely a believer who's never heard God's voice. And she's thinking, what, what have I done wrong? How are other people hearing an audible voice and I'm not? How can I hear God speak? I said, read your Bible. That's where God speaks. But questions like that were, uh, it was a real blessing to be able to speak with them. Um, 
So there were about 170 students there, hungry for biblical instruction. They were excited to see, and we heard from some of them, that, that Christianity was, is a lot deeper than what they realize. That Christianity is not this check your mind at the door and just take what we're saying by faith kind of religion. Uh, Christianity is studied. It's, it, it is a thinking man's religion. It requires deep thought. And men have, have spent many, many years studying and articulating the doctrines of the faith. Um, uh, show the next picture. This is the ladies that cooked all of our food for the boot camp. It was all cooked over an open fire with some rocks. And they, those big old pots, they were cooking rice. I can't cook rice in, in a, a, a one cup of rice and get it right. These ladies were making massive quantities of food over a fire and doing it very, very well. There's one more of them cooking the food. No, that's just where, that's where we ate. That was the cafeteria, you might say. Um, and I've got another picture of the first night that we ate. There were, there's no lights or electricity here. So they just had hung up some flashlights and everybody's eating in the dark. But... Um, Anyway, that, that, those are kind of the, uh, you could say, the accommodations of, of the place where we were. And again, 170 university students, some of them from uh, engineering universities, um, medical universities. These are, these are young people that are going to school to be doctors. Now imagine walking onto a, an American campus where young people are training to be doctors and saying, hey, would you like to come up on a mountain? Well, there's no electricity. We're going to cook your food over a fire. You're going to have to carry your chair from where you worship to where you eat and back again. Um, guys, you're going to have to bathe in the creek, but you'll be able to learn 32 chapters of theology in three days. It's laughable to, to even think about. And yet they did it. Some of them were in their exam times. They would eat quickly, go back over to where it was. It was probably, it was over 100 yards from where we ate to where we worshiped. Um, and they would go quickly back to where we were worshiping to study for their exams that they had to take the following week. But they were willing to do that because they're, they're hungry for it. They're, they desire to, to be taught. Um, because of just the fact that I had bags and you all paid for me to have checked luggage and extra bags, we were able to take uh, 500 copies of the Confession of Faith to them to use at this uh, boot camp as well as leave some in English and Chichewa, that's their uh, language there, uh, for Mala and them to use in their church. So um, shipping things overseas is uh, costly. So if you can get it in a suitcase and just take it on an airplane, you save a little bit of money. Um, so you all are able to do that. There's a picture somewhere, I don't have it yet, of all of the students with all of their confessions. I'll get it at some point. So... The next, I think the next event, I have a, the calendar up here that I'm looking at. Um, the next event that we had was on being a father. I don't have any pictures from that one, so you can leave that one up. Uh, being a father, Mala just invited the, the uh, young fathers from his church on their lunch break to come to their church building, and me and Jason just sat with them at a table, and we had planned topics where we would kind of bounce back and forth off of each other. He would start a topic and he would speak and then I would kind of add a little bit of comment. Then I would start a topic and speak and then he would add a little bit of comment back and forth to encourage the, the fathers there. And I'll walk through some of the topics that we covered. Um, we began with something that, that Jason uses often. He uses the phrase, uh, own the tone. And for those of you who listen to the Church and Family Life podcast, I think that they made a... Uh, reference to some of this in recent months. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the the point that was driven home there was, and fathers, we need to understand this, the father sets the tone for the home. Everybody's watching us. If you wake up ill as a snake and fussing, fighting, and barking orders, everybody in your house is going to be either just like you or cowering in fear because you're like that. Um, Fathers, we should be happy in our houses. We should wake up happy. We should show our children that we're happy, show our wives that we're happy, and set that tone, a tone of joy. Um, I added a few things. As fathers, we need to make sure that our families, whether it's just a wife or whether it's wife and children, they need to understand that we do everything by the book that is according to Scripture. We need to make sure that it's shown that the things that we're doing in our household, nothing left out. The things that we do, we do them because of a biblical precedent. We are not self-appointed messengers that that conjured up our own message. Uh, We are to act, uh, in, in, in a sense, like prophets who have met with God, studied the Word of God, and then bring that to our families. We, we need to show that, to make it clear. Don't just bark orders. Say, in this household, we do this because God's Word says this. So that your children recognize, Dad's under authority. Dad is a man who's met with the Lord. In verse 5 of what we read in Deuteronomy 6, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Fathers, dads, you have to love the Lord first with everything that you are, that will set the tone for your household. I grew up in a a home where I would get up early and I was able to see my father spending time in the Word. That that gave me a picture of, of what it looks like. Start the day in the Word. Show that. Let them see it. You might have an office. You might have a study. Leave the door open sometimes so that they know what Dad's doing in there. That they know that they have a father that's meeting with the Lord, and that will set the tone for your family. The second thing we talked about was caring for our wives. Uh, Several texts of Scripture I think are pertinent here. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, there is a greater food than physical food. Being a breadwinner is good, but there is a greater food. 1 Timothy 5, 8 is, is the gives us sort of a universal principle of provision. If a man doesn't provide for his relatives and those of his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. Ephesians 5, of course, gives us the pattern of the Lord Jesus who washes His bride with the water of the Word. And therefore, we as husbands ought to wash our wives with the water of the Word, which is the Word of God. In other words, we have this, this uh, picture established for us as husbands and fathers that we care for our wives spiritually. Um, You go to work to make provision, and I've said this before here, great. 
animals do that. Beavers build dams for their families. Congratulations. Christian men provide for the spiritual care of their households and, and for their wives. It's important, especially uh, men, if, if it's at, at all possible, if you're at home during these hours, try to protect your wife's time in the Word. If you're like me, I, I, I have that uh, ability because I'm at my house. When my wife gets up, usually it's not long, and there's a trail of children gathering and climbing and begging and asking. And it, 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 it is uh, important for me in those times to say, hey, back up. Have you all read your Bibles today? Okay, then you need to be in your room reading. Let mom spend some quiet time with the Lord. Let her be. Protect that. That was something that I encouraged them to do if they could. Care for your wives. The third one, we talked about family worship. Families should work together. We tried to encourage them because family worship is usually a very daunting task for people who are new to it. So we told them, I told them, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. If you want to exasperate your young children in family worship, overthink it. Uh, Usually, this is not a rule for everybody, but usually what I can come up with on the spot is sufficient for six, well, five children who are able to sit and listen to me explain something from God's Word. Um, if, I, if I bring three pages typed out with cross-references and everything else, I, I might as well just give up. That, that will, that is overthinking it, give them something from the Scriptures and establish patterns that will eventually lead to actual practice. When they're little bitty, mostly what you're doing is just establishing a pattern. And as they get older, then they will be able to join in to the practice. But very more often than not, you're just setting a schedule. You're setting a routine. You're making it known. In our house, we worship God as a family. Then we went into uh, child training tips, which I was, I was educated here. Um, early in the United States, there was a... I don't know what you would call this, a scheme or a way of thinking about teaching your children that became very popular, and it was phrased this way, and you, you all are going to say, well, duh. I had just never heard it put this simply, and this is, it's easy for me to remember. Voice command, soft voice, first time. That, that should be our aspiration in dealing with our children. Voice command. You don't have to drag them by the ear. don't have to kick their leg behind them and get their attention. Smack them on the head. Voice command. Just speak to them. Speak to them softly. I don't have to yell. don't have to bark orders. I'm, I'm not going to, to bend their will just by showing them that I'm louder than they are or bigger. Soft voice. First time. In other words, I'll give you a voice command in a soft voice, one time you obey. Period. Now, those of us who are parents who are saying, is that possible? And the answer is, it is absolutely possible. This was expected for, for who knows how long. This was understood. Another principle that, that I think is important is that these things are possible if you're willing to insist upon it as a parent. If you're willing to say, this is how we're going to do things. Voice command, soft voice, first time. I will insist upon it, and there will be discipline until we get to that point. And if you're willing to insist upon it, you can do it. 
If you're willing to insist upon it for two hours on Monday morning and then bring it back up in three weeks on a Wednesday afternoon and then forget it again for another six months, no, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to take time. It's going to take diligence. It's going to take consistency. But with consistency, I think you will be uh, surprised. So this was at least an interesting aspiration, a standard. Voice command, soft voice, first time. The reason this is important, especially for them over there, the strictest of parents in Malawi are not strict. I mean, the most strict parents, you, you would say, what's going on here? Whose kids are whose? Where, where do you know where your children are right now? That sort of thing. They're, they're pretty relaxed in the way that they handle their children. Um, when it comes to discipline, Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. In other words, it's supposed to hurt. If discipline doesn't hurt, you didn't do it right. Um, a lot of parents think, well, I'm spanking, I'm spanking, and it's just not working. Well, you might need to do it a little harder. All discipline seems painful. At the same time, Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't, don't exasperate them with an over-harshness. There has to be love mixed with sternness and consistency. These are things that we taught them. Settle in for the long haul. Be consistent. Don't give up if it, if it doesn't work according to your standards. Uh, one thing that I think is important is that we train our children to be adults. They came out of the womb knowing how to be children. We don't have to train them to be children. They got that, right? We need to train them up, raise them up. If you want a uh, uh, tomato plant to grow up, then you've got to put a stake in early and tie it to it so that it grows up. It, it already knows how to go this way. Um, so expect higher, usually our expectations are too low. Um, train them up. Train them to be adults. So we, we met with the fathers on those topics. That evening, oh, there was a Bible study at a university called Polytechnic. Uh, Jason basically turned it into a preaching session. He stacked a box on top of a desk and made a pulpit and just preached to us and them on uh, the depravity of their nature and the necessity of regeneration. So they all got to hear that they were by nature children of wrath, that they were... Um, depraved, and that they had to be born again. So that was good. Uh, the next day, there, we began the pastor's preaching conference where we met with some men and, that had traveled in to talk about preaching. Uh, there's a Wednesday evening study. When was that? Go to the next picture. Okay, that'll be a good one for y'all to stare at for a second. Okay. That's next, but I didn't get any, any uh, pictures yet of the pastor's preaching. I think that's after this one. Um, uh, we, we addressed issues like uh, rightly dividing the word of truth, principles of biblical interpretation, being governed by a text, the importance of expository messages, delivering a message that moves the hearers, the importance of application. And then uh, I closed out the first day with a message on preaching permeated with Christ. Then... Uh, that evening was Antioch's midweek service, a Wednesday evening service. That's this, where I preached a message that I preached here, and I preached it here the last time the Roberts were here uh, on Christ as a pitiful Savior. And uh, so I preached that at that, that service, and it was one of those instances where I preached on Christ as a pitiful Savior, and I felt like a pretty pitiful preacher as I was doing it. One of, I would say in my experience, probably the, the worst I felt 
that I had ever done in preaching. And yet, people came up to the end and said, it was encouraging, it was helpful, it was useful, because I just pointed them to Christ. All I did, I pretty much read my notes and talked about the Lord Jesus, and it was encouraging to them. Um, so that's me uh, pointing them to Christ with my furrowed brow and pointing a finger at them. And then there's one more picture after the service. Yes, some of the men gather around. You can see me uh, thumping them with a copy of the confession. Some of the men gathered around and wanted, they had questions about covenant theology, which is always fun. So I, I said, have you not read what the confession says? And uh, so we walked through that. That's what, I'm, that's what we're talking about there. So then the next picture I think will probably be uh, some from the pastor's conference. Yeah, there's that one. There's one more. And then one more. This is, I just got up and took pictures. So that's all the pastors that came plus us sitting there. Uh, the men who came received a copy of the Bible in Chichewa, which is their, the native language here, which is almost impossible to find. So that was a, a really remarkable gift to them. The second day, uh, the topics I opened, the second day doing the work of an evangelist, evangelism and preaching. Then Pastor Massa did two back-to-back messages on the power of prayer in preaching and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in preaching, uh, which was, uh, I really hope Massa gets to come here and preach. Uh, these, these African men preach so slow and so simple and so, uh, it's just so simple. I'm, I'm listening and I'm thinking, why can I not preach like this? It's, it's wonderful. Um, and then Mala closed out the day with a message on pulpit etiquette, which was really fun. Um, so then that evening we went to Pastor Massa's house to meet with the singles, and that should be the next picture. Yeah, so this is Pastor Massa's house. Inside there you can see the ladies are getting food. I think there are three pictures there. So there's one more of people getting food. Yep, there we're getting food. And then the next picture is when we're outside. Yeah, that's, that's all the singles gathered around and we are, uh, Jason and I, there exhorting them. The guy in the middle, his name is John Chikakuda. Um, he's, he's a really fun guy. Um, I began by pointing them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 to 35. If you are single... Listen to what the Word of God says. And, and what I mean by if you are single is if you're a, within the age range where you're beginning to think about things like marriage and being espoused to someone, and yet you do not have that someone. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What does the Apostle Paul assume single women and single men are busy with? The things of the Lord. He's assuming. You're a single woman? Well, you're anxious about the things of the Lord. Not anxious about the things of finding someone. Busy about the things of the Lord. The same for the single man. Anxious about the things of the Lord. Marriage is a wonderful thing. An amazing thing. But it does bring new anxieties, new pressures, new responsibilities. 
So when you're single, be anxious about the things of the Lord. Nail down good habits. The, uh, um, if, you're, if you haven't nailed down a daily, personal, quiet time and communion with the Lord, it's not going to be easier to do that once you get married and you add another person in your house. It doesn't get easier at that point. All the married people who now have children, you can testify to this. If you haven't nailed down those private, personal uh, duties that are your responsibility, it's not going to get easier to do that once an infant is born. It, it just piles on. Harder, more, and more, and more. So uh, be, while you're waiting for those things, you should be anxious about the things of the Lord. Devote yourself to the things of the Lord. Fix yourself there. The Lord will bring these other things. Seek His kingdom. So that's how we encourage them. Daily duties don't get easier when you add new anxieties. We talked about the topic of courtship. Uh, The Bible is very clear that uh, parents are to be uh, uh, exercising oversight for their children until those children go out and start their own family. And so we encourage them. And the way that Africans do this is not parental. It's usually uncles. So if a, a man wants to marry a girl then he has to go talk to her uncles who potentially have never met her. They didn't even know they had a niece. This guy shows up, hey, I want to marry so-and-so. Well, who is she to me? Well, she's your niece. Okay. And the uncles then begin to get involved into how this, this woman, this girl can be married off. It's really strange. So for a young man to go to a father, as he should go to a father and say, I'm interested in pursuing your daughter, well, that's just unheard of. The father typically says, what does that have to do with me? You're going to have to talk to her uncles. And so they're, Mala and these men, they're trying to basically reorient the history of African culture by bringing these things back to a biblical precedent where the parents exercise the oversight. Not arranging marriages, but parents have the oversight in these things. We encourage the young ladies who were there. They're, they're wondering. We, we, we want to be... Uh, wives and mothers and homemakers, but we don't have a husband yet. What do I do? I'm graduating high school. What, what do I do now? We encourage them, at least with this principle, develop habits or skills or pursue types of things that will be able to be used later in life. Uh, if you pour yourself out to be a, 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 a rocket scientist and then you get married and you have kids, well, you're probably not going to use a whole lot of rocket science at home. But if you're learning how to do some... There are things that you can develop that you'll be able to bring with you into the home and potentially use them to generate some revenue from inside the home. So we we encourage them in that way. Um, One of the takeaways that I got from this, uh, we at Covenant Bible Church had better begin to think these things through. Uh, Our kids are growing up. And we need to work to try to get on the same page together as a congregation about what is going to be expected as our children grow up. If we have worlds apart views on what it looks like for a young man and a young woman to begin a relationship with one another, and one of your boys comes to one of my girls and there's a, there's a problem, well, that could destroy a church. That could split a church right open. And that's where we have to begin to work to, to think through these things as, as a congregation. And as I was talking to Kyle earlier today, these are secondary, tertiary issues. They're not, they're not gospel issues But in a local congregation, we had better have unity or we're not going to have a church. Um, 
I might talk a little bit about unity and, and some of that stuff next Lord's Day. Um, the next day, we went to... Yeah, so this was the what we did with the men, then we did it with the women and the mothers. So we had the mothers of Mala's church over at a home, and we just exhorted them... Uh, like we did the men. The topics, prioritize your personal walk with the Lord. Women, you are Christian women first. Then a wife. Then a mother. First and foremost, Christian woman. So then you have to develop the habits of Christian womanhood. Studying the Word of God. Prayer. Developing your own relationship with the Lord. That It begins there. Then out of that, your domestic duties will overflow properly. You can't just say, well, I just want to be this type of lady in the house without your personal relationship with the Lord. All of that's nothing. That's, that's nothing but self-righteousness and hypocrisy. There are, there are lots of good homemaking ladies who are in hell right now because they didn't know the Lord. Studies know the Lord. Let your domestic duties flow out of that. Seek haven, safe haven in your local church where you have support and encouragement. Uh, they know this and we know this. what the Bible teaches about how a home and a family is to be ordered and that which we aspire to to live out in this church, by most people outside of this church, we are looked at like we are insane. We're crazy. You can't do it. It's not possible. Why would you do that? Why would you submit to that bondage? Etc., etc., etc. So where are you going to find some encouragement? Well, it's going to be in your local church where you have other women who can support you and encourage you there. But we also, we close by just encouraging them. And this is, I'd never thought of it this way. Jason came up with this. When men go to work, typically every week or every other week, we come home with a paycheck. Our labors are quantified. Here on this piece of paper is what my work is worth. This is what I've gained. But a mother who's raising her children, she doesn't get that. You might labor months year after year after year and you might nobody's giving you a quantifiable uh, thing to measure what your accomplishments are and so you might think what am I doing you don't feel like there's much reward so mothers you have to think long term you have to set your vision a lot further out and realize you are training eternal souls the things here that you're doing are not here's here's a paycheck for hourly labor thanks for your work it's a lot bigger, a lot more. So you have to think in those terms, but be encouraged that your work, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It, it is, it is well-pleasing to the Lord. So we encourage them in that regard. Uh, then we had the, the actual womanhood conference at Antioch Baptist Church. There might be... Yeah, there's a picture of... That's not the womanhood conference, but you can, you can leave that one up because we'll get there. Um, the womanhood conference at Antioch topics were adorning the gospel of God, fearless womanhood, what is a woman, a biblical or vision for biblical motherhood, that's the one I did on the the Syrophoenician woman. Jason did one on keepers at home, Uh, teachers of good things was another one, and then there was a message entitled, Lies Women Believe. One of the takeaways that I had was... um, to try to encourage the women to avoid the tendency to drift toward weak womanhood. Uh, if you're going to do the things that God's called you to do in your home, you're going to have to be tough. Uh, if, if, it's, not, it's not for soft uh, 
soft ladies. The picture that came to my mind was velvet-covered steel. It's going to be hard work. When you read the, the, the narratives of women in the Bible, they were strong women. They were tough women. When you go to other nations, like where I was, and you see the way that the women have to live in a society, there, there are women doing work there that most of the men in this room couldn't do. Women, strong like the Hebrew women, vigorous. As Americans, across the board, our tendency is lazy wet noodle in everything that we do. Women, you're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to be strong. Uh, Jason gave a message that some of you have heard about uh, keepers at home. The biblical prescription for women to be, uh, according to 1 Timothy 5, Oikodespotes, I think is the word, house despot. The, the woman is the house master, the house ruler. The way he put it was, being a house master is not a side hustle. It's not something you're just going to knock out in a few hours here at the end of the day or in the weekend. It is a full-time job. It's a role that requires strength and conviction, but it has, and it has eternal consequences. So that was the Biblical Womanhood Conference. So then the Lord's Day, that's the picture you see here. I was able to preach at Antioch. Uh, I, I preached to them the message that I preached here from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9, to 9, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. And I personalized it to them and tried to encourage them that, that God's grace is clearly evident in the things that are happening in their church, through their church, and to not miss it. A lot of times, you, when, you're, when you're in the woods... You see a dead tree here and a dead tree here and a stump there and you think this is not much of a forest. But from the outside you can see this is a massive forest of growth. For their church, it would be easy for them to only see the problems and the issues when us from the outside, we're looking in and we're saying, have you heard what God is doing in the country of Malawi through this church and their partner churches? So I tried to encourage them. Then that afternoon, uh, we drove back to Zomba to do the Biblical Womanhood Conference again at Unity Bible Church, which is a church planted out of Antioch by Pastor Maya. I'll show you a picture of him. Um, But we basically redid that that conference, except a little bit shorter. Then we drove back from Zomba to Blantyre to the College of Medicine. Yes, that's here. The College of Medicine Bible Study, where they've been working through the attributes of God uh, in that workbook for a couple years now. Last year when I went, we did the... Uh, the greatness of God, this time we went through the righteousness of God. This is probably, for two years in a row, my favorite uh, event of the whole trip. Just to sit with these college students and just talk about who God is. We talked about the righteousness of God. Psalm 36, 6 says, Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. We talked about how the righteousness of God is unfathomable. It's higher than we can conceive. It's deeper than we'll ever know. It's incomprehensible to us, and yet everything that He does is right. Whatever situation happens, no matter what happens, in the midst of the greatest suffering, you can say, this is right. God has done right by me. Is there, I think that might be the last picture. Yeah, that was, that was the final evening. So we spent the final hours there uh, basking in God's righteousness. So let me uh, give a few thanksgivings and then some prayer requests. Thank you for your prayers. I know some of you 
Maybe many of you were praying for me while I was gone. Thank you for your giving. Um, it's your giving that allows our church to do this and your willingness to send me. I wouldn't go if I felt like the church didn't want me to go. Um, I, I, don't, I don't run ahead without, without that type of uh, submission. Uh, some things to pray for. First, pray for Antioch Baptist Church in Blantyre. Pastors Mala and Masa. Do I have pictures of them on there? Yes. So I took a picture of Mala and Rachel. What, what married couple doesn't like a good picture of themselves? So I sent that to them. And then the next one is, uh, that's Masa and his wife Mata. And man, I hope they can come. Uh, they, are, they are so fun to be around. Just pray for them. They need to be encouraged. They're, they're working hard. Another prayer request would be for Unity Bible Church in Zomba. I think there's a picture of Pastor Maya. Yeah, there's Jason and Maya Kutiola. He's planted that church there and he's, he, he came out of Antioch and went there to plant a church about an hour away in the city of Zomba. So pray for him. And he actually gave me some prayer requests. Uh, pray for God's uh, continued faithfulness or their, their continued faithfulness and commitment as they serve the Lord and His church. Pray that as we grow, the Lord will raise other men at Unity Bible Church to work alongside me. And then thirdly, pray for strength so that I'm able to navigate responsibilities in my home and the church. I am also doing school part-time, so pray for the work there. There are other churches that are being planted. Mala said after we're gone, it won't be long, he's going to be making a trip up north to talk to some men. There are other churches being planted across the country, Reformed Baptist churches like ours. Um, there are, but there, there are many places that don't have a biblical church. One brother that I spoke with, probably the most encouraging conversation I had the whole time, I told somebody today, if I didn't believe he was already a Christian, I would have thought that I watched him get converted in our conversation. It was, it was just, it, it was an amazing conversation. He doesn't have a church to go to. He's got to go back home to a church that he knows is preaching falsely. And yet he's, he's coming to me and he's saying, my, my pastor says this, but, but when I read the Word, I see this. And the people around me are doing this, but when I read the Bible, I see this. I said, the Lord is training the powers of your discernment. Stay there. Be faithful. Until such a time as the Lord plants a church or he's able to move, he's, he's still in school. His name was uh, Rashid Abraham. There are still places where, with no biblical churches. So I'll close with this, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy about workmen, workmen who need not be ashamed. When the Bible talks about pastors, preachers, evangelists, whatever you want to call them, it's work. They're laborers. They're workmen. The Lord needs to raise up more men who are ready to work hard. And I believe that He'll do that if we pray. So let's, let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll stand and sing together. Father, we... We thank You for what You're doing in this country, in these churches. We pray for Pastor Masa and Pastor Mala. We lift up to You their, their wives, their children. We pray that You would strengthen them in, 
in the faith and in grace. Encourage them. Help them to see that you are working. We pray for their church that it would grow in unity. We pray for Pastor Maya and Unity Bible Church that you would continue to send them not only sheep and congregants, but men who can labor alongside of him there in Zomba. We pray for the other churches that are, that are potentially to be planted across the country and, and those places where there are no churches within hundreds of miles. I pray that you would raise up laborers to go and, into those areas and, and plant churches where your gospel is proclaimed and your son is exalted. Lord, we, we can lay all of these things at your feet knowing that you will take care of them. You will not uh, grow lax or lazy in your uh, salvation of sinners from around the globe and the exaltation of your Son. We know that that is your chief desire because it brings you glory. So please do that. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to take part in this. We asked you uh, many times over the years that you would allow us to participate in your work in, in the world and you have opened doors for us and we thank you for that. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be good stewards of what we've been given. Lord, I pray that you would prick our hearts throughout the day or late in the night that we would be reminded and stirred up to pray for our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing hymn number 712 together.